0: This episode is sponsored by Harvest. I used Harvest to track time, track subcontractors' time, and invoice clients. Their time tracking is really simple and easy to use. Invoicing includes a pay-now function by credit card and PayPal, and you can sign up at getharvest.com. Use the code RF to get 50% off your first month. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Everybody, and welcome to episode 29 of the Ruby Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Eric Davis. Hello. And I'm Charles Maxwood. And uh, this week we're going to be talking about education and training. Um, the user voice um, topic says, what do you do to keep learning and stay current? And uh, that that's something that I've always struggled with um, because it's always a time issue, right?
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's a time and effort because realistically there's an infinite number of technologies or things to learn and you got to figure out like which ones are going to be worth your time and which ones are going to die off in a month.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the other thing that's really rough for me is just exactly that. Just figuring out, okay, which one, it, it's not even which ones are going to die off. It's which ones are the most relevant, which ones are going to have the biggest payout to, to go learn. So it it's it's really hard, and since time is such a premium, it, it yeah I don't know. It's just sometimes I there are things that I know will pay off, but I still don't go learn about them because I just don't have time, or and, and don't have time. A lot of times is synonymous with it's not a priority, and in some cases that's true too. Is just that you know there are other things that I am putting ahead of that.
1: Well, I mean it's it's time and it's also energy in that. Yeah learning takes a lot of energy and so if you just spent like seven hours of your day doing heavy development for a client and you have an hour left you might not have the energy to try and learn something new and so it's like okay well what can i do with the little energy that i have left and because you know training and learning new things typically doesn't have a a short-term payoff like you're not going to like learn something today and be able to use it tomorrow for the most part that it kind of gets pushed aside for the more short-term fixes.
0: Right. Absolutely. And the other thing is, is that sometimes, well, not sometimes, most of the time I have some client work that I could work on right now. And so it's also hard sometimes to justify the, well, I could spend an hour earning money or I could spend an hour learning about technology X.
1: Yeah. And I mean, having a client work where you're billing an X amount per hour versus the training education stuff where it's an undetermined amount for that hour of time, it's, it's kind of a hard payoff, especially when you can, you know, if you need the money or you have to do something for a client, like you have a deadline, you know, I, I can't remember what it is. I think it's like the the problem of the urgent tasks will always push out the important tasks.
0: Yeah. Yep. And there are always plenty of those, aren't there? Yep. So um, how do you decide I, I want to ask you this and then I'll, I'll answer it as well. But how do you decide which topics or which technologies to, to learn about?
1: Well, I used to, it's a while back. I started a list of like, in this language, I want to learn how to do these things. Like I want to learn how to use sockets, make a H HTTP connection, make just a, a TCP connection, you know, all that stuff. And so, in whatever programming language I was learning, I'd kind of like go through those as like, these are the exercises to do. But recently, because I've been so heavy in Ruby and then getting into JavaScript, some of those, they just really didn't apply as much. Like they apply more for general purpose languages. And so now kind of what I'm doing is I'm just taking a list of like interesting projects and technology that I see. And then I actually have a blog post that I just throw them in there. And right now I have 55 different things in there and it's just kind of like JavaScript stuff, database stuff, um, Ruby stuff. And what I'm actually doing is once a week on Friday, I take one hour and pick something off that list and just see what I can do and time box it so I only spend an hour on it.
0: That's fair enough. I, I kind of like that idea where, yeah, you just time box it and then it's it's not, well, how, how many hours am I going to sink into this before i really get it it's i'm going to spend an hour learning about it and then i'm done
1: yeah and it's not just like reading about it because you know you can read about it and be like oh i think i understand this it's i'm actually trying to write code like a you know a simple either a to do list or like a running tracker something with it so that i can actually see all the bugs and all the you know areas that okay if i'm going to use this this is what i'm going to run into and for example i think Two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, I tried Backbone JS because, you know, that's all the rage right now. And I spent, I think, an hour and a half, and I got nowhere with it. And I actually gave up. And the sad thing was, I was really looking forward to Backbone. I was like, this seems pretty cool. I can actually see where I could apply this in a couple of my projects. Once I got in and started using it, I'm like, yeah, this this wouldn't work. Like, I, I what I thought the technology was wasn't actually what it was doing. And uh-huh. so in Backbone's case, I'm actually going to come back at another time and, you know, spend a little bit more in depth stuff because I just a one hour wasn't enough. But on the other hand, I tried like knockout JS, uh, maybe a month or two months ago. And I spent like 40 minutes reading the docs and then like 15 minutes and I built my app. So it's like, wow, this is crazy efficient. I could throw this into projects right now. Like I, I have a good enough summary. So it's the time box is nice in that, like, you know, like this is the amount of time I'm going to invest. But at the same time is if you don't give yourself enough time, you might not be able to dig into something enough to actually make a good, like
0: rational decision about it. Right. That makes sense. So how do you pick the topics? Is it just stuff that you've heard about or... Yeah,
1: I mean, it's just stuff I heard about. Um, I think when I originally did the list, I went on like GitHub's, uh, I don't know if it was like most popular or most forked or most watched, but I just went through their list and, oh, this looks neat, this looks neat. And then in my to-do list, I'd randomly put stuff like, Oh, I heard about this gym called Fog that will create servers. That that seems kind of cool. I might be able to use that. And so I just went through it with my to-do list and pulled that out and put into this post instead. And and it's I mean, it's I had it organized when I first started. And there's probably about a dozen different things that I just kind of added on at the end, like, oh, this is something cool that just was released last week. Let's let's play with that in a few weeks.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I kind of like that idea. Um, I tend more toward, um, if I run into something that will or would have solved a problem that I ran into, um, then I just start playing with that. Um, I'm not so much driven by, well, I'm going to try out this, this technology or this technique and then this other one. Um, I, I did make a list at one time, but I never looked at it again. So yeah. (laughs)
1: and uh, i mean i mean that's one way it's like the just in time like you know you maybe a client wants you to do something or you know you know you're going to need to pick up like you know some what is it client side mvc or something and so you might like okay i'm going to take a bit of time and work on this and play with it but i found for me like i i would never set aside the time and i would be like last minute scrambling to figure it out or you know worst case like you know, client wants it and I'm like, sorry, I don't know what I'm doing with this. I'm not going to be able to build it that way. I have to go back to my old tools. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I set up this thing where it's like every week I do that. And I actually do the same thing for business stuff too. I just don't write about it because it's not that it's personal. It's very
0: specific to my business and the ideas that I'm trying in that. Right. That makes sense. So um, your, your approach generally is to you know, just time box it. Spend an hour, maybe an hour and a half, on that technology. And when I'm trying to learn a new technology, for example, with my with this client that I've been working on full time, um, they they are using TMUX, which I had never used before. I've heard about it. I'd had people talk about it. I'd been I'd had it implied that I was, you know, not doing it right because I wasn't using it, but I had never used it before. And uh, they're using Emacs on, on those machines. And then we basically remote pair and we use Skype or go to meeting or something so that we can transmit our voices and what have you. Right. And, um, anyway, so the, the, the deal is, is that it, uh, I'd never used them before. So I actually, Um, bought the Tmux book from the Pragmatic Programmers. And I already had an Emacs book that I had bought a while back because I wanted to learn about it, but I had never read it. And so I'm about 45% of the way through. I'm on the Kindle, so you you can imagine that it's percent, not page. About 45% of the way through the Emacs book. Um, And then I'm probably, when I finish with that, I'm probably going to pick up the tmux book and the nice thing about approaching things through a book as opposed to you know maybe I, i mean video tutorials are nice and stuff don't get me wrong but um the book just kind of sat down and explained okay this is how emacs thinks about these so this is this is what a buffer is and this is what a pain is and this is what a a frame is, and this is what a window is, and and uh, you know here here are these commands that allow you to do these things, and here's how you have to think about solving these different problems, like copying and pasting and what what not, and so it. <laughs> You know, because it's different from Vim and that's what I've been using. And so the nice thing is, and I've never gotten kind of the philosophical explanation of Vim either. And so it was really handy to be able to go, okay, this is the mindset behind how you use Emacs. And so now when I'm doing things, um, you know, I may not remember the exact command, but I know the general principle. And so I can go look it up and then know that that's where I want to be. And, uh, you know, this is the approach. This is exactly what I'm looking for. I just don't know the right keystrokes to make it happen. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. And I mean, for reference stuff and for stuff that, like, you need, like, a history, historical background on it, books are great for that because with a screencast, I mean, for the most part, stuff has to keep moving in a screencast. And the only way you can really do that kind of background is if you go to, like, a slideshow and you have, like, content but then it's like you're just staring at a couple words or bullet points while the person's talking about stuff and that's why books are great for that um, my problem is I tend to read a lot and not actually go back and apply it so I actually have the T-Mux books I have the Coffee Script book I have a couple other ones I haven't read them and right. so that's why it's like, I'd rather get in, dig into the code and like for backbone, I'm going to be like, okay, I didn't understand this. I'm going back through a couple of tutorials. I'm going back through some example code and I'm going to kind of backfill a lot of the stuff that I didn't know and see if that foundation will help me actually make the code again. Mm-hmm. And so like, it's just, I'm trying to contrast like the, the weakness I, I have of reading something and then not taking action by trying to take a lot of action up front.
0: Right. And, and that's the payoff I think I'm getting out of reading these books at this point is because I'm actually using the tools day in and day out. But I agree. Like I read a book on Cassandra and it really, it wasn't until I started playing with it that it really made a difference, really kind of sunk in. And I was like, okay, I, I get this. Mm-hmm. So,
1: yeah. And I mean, with like you said, is you're experiencing Emacs and Tmux every day for this client. And so you know, you kind of need some of that background foundation or you're going to get over your head because someone might do something in it and you don't know, was that Emacs Emacs doing it or was it Tmux? And so having a foundation is going to help you. And it's going to you can see like, oh, he's doing something in Emacs versus Tmux. But, you know, it's the idea of if you don't have a project that needs the tech or if you're just really just doing it for research and trying to figure out, like, well, what's the gist of Cassandra? I think getting into the code or, you know, trying to do something with it is actually a a lot better, a lot faster way to kind of feel around for it.
0: Right. I agree. So, yeah. So, some of the other technologies that I'm going to be picking up for the same client are Redis and Apollo, which is a, a queuing server or a queuing system. And, uh, you know it's the same thing you know it's it's getting in seeing the code seeing how they you know how how it's being approached as part of the project and then dealing with things on that level but yeah i almost feel like you have to build a project around it in order to really understand whatever technology you're after
1: yeah and i think that's kind of learning in general i mean i can't remember who said it but it's the it's like a pyramid of you reading about it gives you a certain amount of skill um, listening to someone talk about it, like say a screencast, where it's like just presentations, is gonna give you a bit more skill, it's a bit higher fidelity. Going and actually physically like watching someone present on it's gonna give you more. Um, sitting down with someone and just talking with them is gonna give you even more. And then the, the very, very highest fidelity, highest productivity is you actually working with it. And so it's, I can't remember what that's called, but that's kind of something to, to think about too, is like, you know, how, how much time do you have? How quickly do you need to do it? And, you know, could you try something that's a little bit faster or more efficient?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So are there other sources that you go to for learning, training, whatever?
1: Um, as far as ideas, like I said, as like I check GitHub and I'll, like, you know, look on Twitter and, you know, someone might talk about a project. But as far as, like, actually content, um, I mentioned it in the past. I use Peep code. Um, if you actually watch Peep Codes RSS, that's a good way of seeing like what's new tech where it's not bleeding edge, but it's like kind of it's just out of bleeding edge. And so like Ember JS was out a little bit ago. So that's like, OK, it's it's off the bleeding edge. It's You can kind of try, try to play with it. Um, I mean, I look at Twitter for blog posts, but that's kind of hit or miss because a lot of people try to do bleeding-edge stuff and write about it. And the, the other thing is most of the stuff I do is, like, if I'm going to use technology, it needs to be stable and work in production. Right. So I don't like playing with a lot of the bleeding-edge things. Like, I might take a little bit of a risk on it, but I try to stay away from it. Like, for example, with Turk right now, Um, I want to use Redis. There's a couple of uh, gems that use Redis for their storage, but I haven't used it in production and I don't trust it quite yet, even though it's actually reasonably stable. And so I actually have a prototype that's actually calling Redis with, I think almost every page of you just doing something simple, but it's like, you know, catching the exceptions and all that. So that way I'm actually running it in production in a very, very limited scope for a bit. And so, if it does blow up, it doesn't actually affect the application. But I think I've been running it for a few months; haven't had a single issue, a single outage, anything. And so now, actually, I have trust in Redis, and so I can actually like start working with it a bit more. Um, yeah I mean another thing to do is if people write postmortems of projects or like you know do presentations of like this is what we use for you know Apex like that's sometimes good to get some ideas and not just about technology but like maybe different ways they're using and applying the technology Mm
0: -hmm. yeah that that makes a lot of sense Um, I know that uh, in a lot of cases uh, some of the technology that I pick up I pick up at user groups so I'll go to the user group and somebody will be talking about uh, this technology or that technology and I'll get involved there. Another one that, uh, that has also brought different technologies to my attention is conferences. So <laughs> I go to the conference and I'll sit in on a talk and somebody's talking about how they, you know, use some API or some technology in a sort of a non-standard way or something like that. And, and I've had that work out as well um, for, for things that, that were really interesting. Um I'm trying to think where else I hear them. I mean, I see a lot of it float by on Twitter. Um, a lot of times, too, I hear about it on, like, Ruby Rogues. Um, one of the guys there will pick something that they like, and, you know, and then I'll go look into it if I'm really interested in it. Um, but, yeah, th- those are kind of the sources that I, I lean on uh, to find stuff. I mean, one, I don't know if you mentioned, but it's
1: also working with people. Like you said, is oh, you yeah. you're you're using t and Emacs now. If you weren't on this project, you would you wouldn't really be exposed to it enough to want to do it. And so a couple of projects I've worked on, I've picked up new tools because, you know, the development team was already using these tools. And so I came in, I was actually able to talk to someone and get answers, but I was also able to see their code that worked. And so I can compare that to like, say, tutorial code or this or that, and actually get an understanding of it really fast.
0: Right. That makes sense. Yeah. I have picked up a few things that way or picked it up because a client, had other developers that had worked on the project and were already using it. And so you become familiar because you have to, which I guess is from other people too. But anyway, yeah, um, that, that definitely works out. So then once I run into those, typically I'll, I'll go find a book or a blog post or something. Um, I, I like videos, but it seems like a lot of times it's hard to find a good video that really explains, things in the context that makes a difference to what you're trying to do with it. Um, and some of the videos are just downright awful anyway. (laughs) And so I don't know. I mean, it's, it's hard sometimes to find a good resource, especially with some of these technologies that are moving ahead very quickly. So for example, um, the book I read on Cassandra was on Cassandra version. Oh, six, I want to say, and they're on version like 1.1 or 1.2. And so, so that's pretty significant then. Right. So the the basic principles apply, but they've added a ton more features that make a lot of things a lot easier. And so it it's kind of tough to do that, and so you have to you have to figure out where the people who are dealing with the newer versions are and then, you know, be willing to ask them questions too.
1: And I mean, I've done this before and it's, it's more intensive and you have to, like, you have to know the language, but you can also just start code reading. Like I know JavaScript reasonably well. And so a while back I wanted to like dig into prototype. And so I actually downloaded prototypes source and I think it was on my iPad and was reading through every file they had and figured out how they did stuff and picked up some interesting, like, Oh, that's a cool little JavaScript technique. And I feel like I have more experience with prototype now, even though I was using it for a while, going through the source, I actually picked up like, well, wow, I didn't even know all these methods, or I guess functions, all these functions existed. And that's something you can do, especially with like, if you're looking at like a Ruby library and you already know Ruby, um, it might even be faster because typically the documentation's gonna lag behind the source code and books are gonna lag really far behind the documentation, videos, are still they lag in documentation and so if you want to know what really cassandra can do if you can read the source that will tell you exactly
0: yeah one other good place for a lot of those that that stuff is uh to go and join the mailing list for the project Mm -hmm. in a lot of cases especially on the apache projects that's the way they operate is they operate everything through their Mailing lists, and so if you go and join the users list or even the developers list for whatever project, a lot of time you a lot of times you can get the insight that you need to properly use and deploy whatever technology that uh, you're interested in.
1: Yeah, or I mean, because the problem with mailing lists is sometimes there's just a lot of noise on them, especially like the user level mailing list. Oh yes. And so if you can find that there's like web archives of it. I found sometimes it's good just to use a Google search and use the site and that, but don't actually give it a keyword. And half the time, Google will just give you everything it has indexed, but it'll list it in like the most popular or the most relevant. And so you might be able to pick up some of the posts that are like, you know, this thread's like 50 50 posts long, and that's going to be one where you're going to get a lot of information with very little time. So that's that's another thing to do. and, I mean, if you want, like, if you have real-time questions, I mean, chat and IRC is typically great for open source stuff because you can ask. You might have to wait, like, a couple hours, but typically you'll get a reply. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, an- another thing is uh, you can also just, like, play with it. Like, we use Cassandra. Like, play with Cassandra, do something, you know, run into a problem, and write a blog post about everything you did or write kind of an opinion of, I think Cassandra sucks for X reason. And if you do it kind of where it's not, like, you know, troll bait or whatever. Someone might stand up and say, well, actually it sucks because you're using it wrong. This is how you should use it. And that's another way to learn. It's kind of be public about, I'm trying to Mm -hmm. learn this thing. I don't know what I'm doing. And can someone stand up and help me?
0: Right. Yeah. That, that definitely makes sense too. One, one thing that I've noticed with the, uh, with the IRC and chat channels is that in a lot of cases, you kind of have to wait for the handful of people that really get it to be Mm -hmm. there. Um, I've gone in for different, for different projects of different types and actually, you know, had trouble because I'm asking questions and, um, I either don't get responded to, or, you know, somebody responds and basically says, I don't know, or there, somebody will respond and be rude. And, you know, and other times you get on, you ask the question and, and somebody's like, well, here, let me walk you through all of this. And you get a good handle on what's going on like right away. And so I've kind of had mixed mixed uh, experiences with the with the chat rooms.
1: Yeah, and I mean, like when I was contributing to the Redmine project, like I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of installs Redmine has, but. The chat channel, if you, if you came in at Pacific time, you'll probably catch me. If you came in kind of like work hours for Germany, you would catch some of the, the contributors from Germany. But if you came in any other time, it would be dead in there. And so it'd be a bunch of people just asking questions. And that was because there's only, I think, Maybe four or five of us that really knew it good enough to kind of explain it, and so if you just on the off chance didn't get there at the right time, you would get no answer. You just get someone saying, "Hey, you're gonna have to wait till someone shows up," and you know it depends on people's connections. Like if if I wasn't logged in, I wouldn't see people's questions, and I might have you know might lose all their stuff, and they might get bored and leave. But for larger projects, typically IRC channel can't it's usually maintained pretty good there's a couple people but um that's just something you have to watch for and most of the time you just kind of have to try it if it doesn't work go to like a mailing list or something like that and you know irc is hard because it's a one-on-one too like you're you're taking the exact amount of time of the person who's asking your question and so i actually got burned out doing support that way
0: quite a bit right and that makes sense Uh, yeah I've I've also emailed people that I know or or Skype chatted with them and things like that if you actually know somebody a lot of times that's the best way to go because you already have a relationship there and usually they're pretty willing to just you know take a few minutes to help you out help you understand as opposed to and and if you're working on a project with them then they're really motivated to help you understand but uh, Mm -hmm. yeah uh, in other cases it just you know it just depends and Redmine, it seems like, doesn't, I don't know how large the development team is for Redmine, but it would make sense that, you know, if the team is was relatively small, you know, relatively small number of contributors that it would be, it would be harder to line up a time where, you know, you can be sure that one of them will be there.
1: Yeah. And so, I mean, before we forked it, we ended up like just sending a lot of people to the forum and saying, you know, we'll help you. But can you post this in the forum? So when this comes up again, we can have someone else. We can just say, go look at this link where we have all the documentation because we were, you know, it was, I think, like I said, four or five of us manning it. And we were running out of time. Like I I had to stay out of the channel because I actually couldn't get any work done. I would be there answering questions for six hours out of the day. But I mean, that's, that's kind of on the extreme end. I mean, I, I think if you do kind of the low key of like, you know, reading the source or just trying to play with code, like you can pretty much teach yourself most things. And for the most part, documentation is going to be decent enough that you're not going to run into a lot of big problems, um, unless it's like a bleeding edge system. But in that case, like you just, you have to be prepared to look at the source code and try to figure it out that way and, you know, debug it and all that.
0: Yep. So one other area of training, I think you've done more of this than I have, is the online course. Um, I know you did the 30 by 500. Um, How how, how has that worked out for you as far as the, you know, the actual course kind of thing? Um,
1: I'm trying to think. I don't think I've done any training for tech stuff, like, you know, learn rails or this or that. Mm -hmm. Um, For business stuff, I do a lot of it because it's... A pretty efficient way of getting knowledge, and with business, it's you—you you can't just go look at the source code for business. Like it's, you don't have that high fidelity thing you can do. And a lot of the like, oh, I'll just try and just hack on business things and see what happens. Like a lot of that, there's so many outside variables that you know you—you you could do something completely right, but the environment's wrong, and so it gets screwed up, and so you might think the tech technique was wrong. Mm-hmm. So that's why I do a lot of courses. I've done i've done amy hoy's 30 by 500. um i did michael port who's the author of book yourself solid which is a book i've recommended um i did one of one of his courses i think he stopped doing it but it was kind of a a group type training course for a bunch of different business things um i've done a few about marketing and then i think there's like a few like you know like smaller like app sumo screencasts with pdf type courses i've taken and their hit or miss i mean 30 by 500 worked really good michael port's thing the content was good but the course wasn't organized that great and i think that's why he stopped it um and then like the app stuff it's i mean that's complete hit or miss. it depends on how good the presentations and stuff are but I think you have to figure out, like, what. how do you learn? Like, I learn by reading and a little bit of doing. I don't learn by listening, and I don't learn by, um, you know, by, like, just watching other people do stuff. And so the course is, like, 30 by 500 is good because... Amy gives us uh, PDFs to read so I can read that, get the background knowledge. And then there's homework and stuff where you actually go and do things. And mm-hmm. so that's why I've had the best retention with that class. Whereas like Michael ports, whatever there wasn't as strong of an emphasis on homework. And so I would read and then I wouldn't actually take action, which was what I was talking about at the beginning of this, where just read a bunch of stuff, get the knowledge, but don't actually put it to use. So, I mean, it's, I think it's good if you can find a course and try it and see if it works for you. Like I know they don't work for my wife at all. Like just her learning style is just completely different. But for her, going to a conference or whatever is a great way for her to learn. But for me, it's not really that good.
0: Right. That makes sense. Um, I'm not sure I've taken any online classes. So at least not that I finished.
1: I would say, would you consider like mastermind groups or that kind of
0: thing, an online class? Uh, not so much. I mean, so that, that's another area I guess that you can consider for, um, you know, a, a learning. Um, and I definitely learn a lot from my mastermind group, The but it's not like specific training. Now the podcast mastermind does have periodic, like sit down and, you know, do a webinar or whatever. And, and I'm also a member of the third tribe and they have webinars on, um, on selling and, and you know, web optimization and stuff like that. So, um,
1: but that's not like the core offering of those groups,
0: right? Right. The, the groups are actually as much about the interaction between the members as it is about the, you know, the training sessions that they put together. And I don't know if I would categorize them as a course, but I mean, there, there are definitely some great ways to pick things up. I mean, the third tribe has a forum, the podcast mastermind has a forum, um, you know, the, the podcast mastermind, we actually get together and discuss what's going on with each of us every month. So, you know, there, there are definitely things there that are elements of, uh, you know, successful learning. And, you know, I've, I've had some of these guys explain or teach, uh, certain aspects of, you know, of life or business to me, but, You know, I I didn't go into them with the express purpose of learning a particular, um, a particular thing from them. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, and and I've been in a couple mastermind groups, and it's kind of you get. It's more like you get immersed in like you know whatever the topics about. Like you know, is it about podcasting or marketing? And Mm -hmm. you you're just kind of supposed to like absorb and just pick up things kind of seemingly at random, like there's not a lot of structure. Um, those can work really good. I've been in a few. I think that, you know, it's like I learned a lot and a lot of it was from other people saying things like, you know, they tried this and this is what happened from it. Um, so I was just wondering because some people consider those online classes or whatever, even if there's there's no structure around it or whatever.
0: I have seen some of the um, masterminds where, you know, it it is more structured in the sense that it's, you know, somebody, usually it's the person uh, moderating it will put together some kind of material for everybody to, to go over or learn. And the podcast mastermind, we do do that. We actually have to, you know, we've been reading tribes, I think is with the book that we've been doing lately. And uh, you know, so you read the book, you come, you discuss and things like that. But again, I mean, it's, you know, you're not signing up and then getting, you know, weekly years, you know, semi-weekly or whatever training. So I, I don't know. I, I I kind of hesitate to call it training, but at the same time, it is a great way to learn. And a lot of times if you have the right kind of people in your mastermind group, then you can teach them things that they struggle with understanding and they can teach you things that you struggle with understanding. And so it can be kind of that one-on-one training, almost like coaching. Which is another thing that we probably ought to talk about here in a minute
1: well i guess let's talk about coaching then
0: okay so have you hired a coach before um
1: i haven't hired a coach i'm trying to think if i've hired like or had any kind of advisors i think the only thing that i've ever done was i've been in I think two mastermind groups where it was, we're all kind of peers, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so someone might advise me on something that they know better than me, but I would, like you said earlier, I would advise them on something that I know better than them. And so it's kind of a sharing. I haven't had actually a coach or a consultant or anyone actually say like, I'm an expert at, you know, this topic, Eric, you should do this topic in this way.
0: Right. So, when I went freelance, well, about a month or two before I went freelance, I hired a coach, a business coach, because I wanted to basically build my own business and, uh, you know, gain some flexibility and stuff. My son was about to go to kindergarten, and, you know, I just wanted the flexibility of being able to be there for all of his little things and stuff. And so I hired the coach, and we were putting together a plan you know, for me to, you know, build a product or, you know, um, we, we were still working out the details when I got laid off, um, on what, what I should focus on and what I should do. And, you know, and then it just worked out that I went freelance. And, and so he, he advised me as best he could on, you know, finding people to hire me and things like that. And, um, coaching's kind of a subjective thing. Like some coaches are really good for some people and not for others. And some coaches are really good for certain situations and not for others. And so it it really just comes down to what you expect to get out of it and whether or not you and your coach can effectively communicate to each other what those needs are and what you need to do in order to move ahead.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's like a partnership except where it's not as strict. And, you know, if there's personality conflicts or, you know, if they're an expert in an area that you don't care anything about, you know, it's, it's not going to work. And I think that's why there's a lot of different coaches, a lot of different types is that the idea is like you could find one in a specific, like special topic, or you could find one that like, I like this person, you know, they might not know everything that I, I want to know, but I like it. And I mean, I, I use my wife as a sounding board a lot. And so I'll say, like, hey, I'm thinking about doing this and that and this and that. And she's like, yeah, but you don't even have time to do the things you're already committed to. You shouldn't. And so I think coaches are good for that if you don't have a significant other who's able to be objective enough. Or if you're just, you need someone with more business experience or anything. So You know, like a coach or a consultant or even if you can just find like an advisor or like a mentor, like I think that could be really great, even if they're not telling you like you need to learn this or you need to do this.
0: Yeah, you're just looking for somebody that has the expertise that you want to gain.
1: Yeah, or even just that they have kind of enough knowledge to know the general stuff about your business, but are able to kind of be blunt with you and not worry about hurting your feelings.
0: Right. And they can offer some kind of unique insight one way or the other that will help you make the right decisions.
1: Yeah, and I mean half the time like when I'm talking to my wife like by the time I set up like this is what I'm thinking of doing and start talking about like what I'm going to do, I'm like I stop myself. I'm like wait, never mind, don't worry about that. I'm I'm being stupid. I'm not thinking about this the right way. And she didn't have to say anything, but you have to actually like kind of vocalize it and put your thoughts into words sometimes and you know, there's you can actually do this with programming too. I I think it's called like the rubber ducky syndrome or something where you have a rubber duck. If you're trying to debug something, you try to talk to the rubber duck on your desk and tell them what you're doing. And usually by the time you finish telling the rubber duck, you've spotted your error and can move on. And I actually have a little black rubber duck that sits on my desk and he's been there for, um, nine years, maybe 10 years now.
0: Oh, wow. Sounds like it's almost as old as Evan's cat. Yeah. So, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, you, you, and in and, and a lot of cases with my coach, I did find that, you know, just in explaining things to him, it would immediately provide, you know, I'd, I'd go, oh, yeah, well, duh, I need to be doing this and that. And, uh, so I would gain the insight myself, but the nice thing is, is I had the sounding board. And the other nice thing about it was that I had somebody who would hold me accountable. And Mm -hmm. when it comes to holding me accountable, my wife is really not good at that. She's a pushover. And that's, (laughs) that's, that's nice in some ways. And, you know, but, but it's not useful in, in that sense. And, you know, it's just a personality thing, but you know, that means that I have to go find somebody else who will do that for me.
1: And I mean... Not to get too far off topic, but when I guess a couple years ago, I was looking, trying to figure out, like, okay, what am I doing with business and all this and that. And I actually have started looking at a couple people and made them my mentor without them actually knowing. So I would like follow their blog, follow them on Twitter, you know, figure out everything they're saying and try to get like a, try to build like a mental model of like, this is how they think and how they make decisions. And so I had one person I would, I did that for kind of like business freelancing stuff. I had another person I did that for actually like technical Ruby stuff. And that actually Worked really good, and I figured out kind of okay. I'm thinking their perspectives like this, and then over time, I'd kind of adapt that and you know integrate that into how I worked. And then um, you know maybe a couple months, a couple years later, I'd actually say, okay, it's time to move on. I'm going to pick a new mentor. And so I kind of have a couple of lists like that, where it's like these are people that I follow very closely and see, and try to analyze everything they do just to learn from you know, what actions they're taking, what mistakes I'm seeing they're doing and all that. And the nice thing is it doesn't cost you anything other than time. And if someone's not really wanting to mentor anyone, you can still do this sort of thing to still learn from them.
0: Yeah. I've heard a few people talk about things like that, especially where it's, if you want to achieve things along the lines of what so-and-so has achieved, then you need to be doing the same kinds of things that they're doing. And you hear, you hear these examples like, uh, with millionaires. So, um, you know, they uh-huh. don't all do exactly the same thing, but there are certain behaviors and mindsets that they all share in general. And so the idea is, is that if you want to be a millionaire, then you will. You know, exhibit the same mindsets and behaviors to a certain degree so that you can, you know, do what they do and, you know, approach money the way they approach money.
1: Yeah. And I mean, to be honest, like with business, business isn't that hard as far as concept wise. Like the, it's hard in that the work is, you know, physically, mentally, mentally, emotionally taxing, but it's business isn't like, You're not like building a compiler, and I mean, even some people think building a compiler is easy, but you can try to find someone who's gone before you and Mm -hmm. basically figure out exactly what they did and do exactly what they did, and you can pretty much expect to end up where they are. You know, and I mean, we've talked about it before. Like we have a group where we, you know, a bunch of us chat and I've seen people come in and kind of copy what someone else has done. And then a year, maybe two years later, they're freelancing and doing the same thing in the same area as that previous person, or as that previous person's moved on to another area. So it's like a... You know, if you played video games like RPGs, it's like, you know, you level up and you're at a new level. Well, the person that you're following, they're leveling up too, so you can kind of follow along with them throughout the entire thing.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So before we get to the picks, are there any other uh, areas of of learning or keeping current that, that we haven't discussed?
1: Well, let's see. We mentioned... Uh like reading like books we mentioned uh working with people and kind of talking to people you know like how do you use x um you mentioned conferences um coaching doing online classes um podcast you can kind of listen to some of those and learn from that so like kind of the audio side um trying to think. I mean, I I personally, for me, doing works the best. Um, One way that's kind of common right now, you can learn something new is play a game that's around it. So if you're trying to learn business, find a game that kind of is a simulation of business and you can play that. And that's nice because it doesn't drain you as much as, you know, sitting down and reading a thick business textbook.
0: Um, Yeah, that makes sense. You can also turn some of the tasks that you have to do into games.
1: Yeah, I haven't I haven't been able to do that successfully. I mean, it's I don't know. Maybe I'm doing it wrong or it just doesn't work for me, but I always feel like it's just it doesn't motivate me. It doesn't actually work.
0: Right? I I haven't really had much success with it either, but I know other people you know they're able to turn you know some of the the things that they don't like to do into something interesting or fun and and then you know they become better at it more adept at it and at the same time you know they they learn to enjoy it so I yeah know. I mean
1: it's a valid strategy I just I haven't seen that work for me you yeah. know and once again it's very subjective different people are different and all that stuff
0: yep but uh, I don't know I mean there there are different membership sites to put out weekly videos but we kind of talked about learning from video so mm-hmm.
1: yeah i mean what what are the main modes of learning there's there's reading uh, listening doing
0: watching uh,
1: watching yeah so you know stimulating all the senses but you're not actually doing it um you know I it's just there's a lot of different things i mean it, it comes back to figure out what you what you're best at learning-wise and what you enjoy, because those might not be the same thing, mm-hmm. and try that. And I mean, I, I found the that learning pyramid I was talking about earlier, so we'll put a PDF in the show notes, it's a one-page PDF, it's really simple. Um, so that can help, but it's I think you just kinda gotta, gotta try a bunch of things, keep your eyes open. And I mean, for me, I found time was a big problem, so I actually scheduled time you right. know, some people might be able to, you know, do it ad hoc. And, you know, if that works for you,
0: great. Yeah, makes sense. All right. Well, um, let's get to the picks. So what what are your picks?
1: Um, I actually have quite a bit just because I've been thinking about the topic here. So I mentioned that learning pyramid. So I'll put a PDF in there. Yeah. Um, it basically shows the... Kind of the average retention rate for different ways of learning, and it's a pyramid, the one on the bottom's the best, the one on the top's kind of the worst, and worse as in like how good you are at remembering. Um, side note, the very worst one is a lecture, which is kind of almost how 90% of college is taught, which is kind of interesting, <laughs> um, and I know that for a fact. Um, So that's one pick. The other one I just thought of is a book by the pragmatics called Pragmatic Thinking and Learning, Refactor Your Wetware. Uh, That's a great book. I should actually read that again. It's, wow, it's published in 2008. So it's, you know, a couple years old, but it's very, very good. There's a couple tips in there that I've actually taken to heart and used, and I keep forgetting that that's where I get it from. Um, So that's a great book. And then... Recently, um, I don't know if I've mentioned it, but I had an iMac where I was doing screencasts and basically using iTunes to sync to my iPad and iPhone. Well, the hard drive got the click of death a couple weeks back and stopped booting. And it's an older iMac, so it's not really worth it to repair. And I looked at trying to swap the hard drive out, which basically entails taking the entire thing apart, taking the screen off. And I mean, I'm surprised that it doesn't include soldering. So... the (laughs) I mean, luckily my wife has a MacBook, and so we're probably gonna be putting that in my office, and I'm gonna be using that for screencasts. But you know, iTunes as a software really sucks, and I hate syncing it. Um, and so what I actually started doing is I started trying to get away from iTunes, get away from you know using a Mac for my phone and stuff. And so recently, I bought an app called Downcast, which is for podcasts. Basically, I guess it's called a pod catcher. It um, mm-hmm. will download and it could also stream podcasts directly to your phone. The really nice thing and why I got it versus other ones is. You can use iCloud to sync your podcast descriptions, your settings, um, and like what podcasts you've listened to and where you're at between all your devices. So I can listen on my iPad, pause it, go upstairs, get my phone, and start right where I left off. So it's really nice. Um, The only downside is I have like eight gigs of podcasts that I need to catch up on. Which brings me to my next pick. I was listening to Ruby Rogues, which I don't know who hosts it, but he seems pretty good at podcasting. Um, it but comes I was and goes. Yeah, I was listening to the one with DHH. Um, it's a very, very good one. Um, DHH, you know, drops some of his vocal bombs like normal, but um, I thought it was interesting because he actually pointed out a lot of the uh, kind of the different discussion that's going on between. I, I'm still trying to figure out the words for it, but, you know, the heavy, heavy object-oriented pattern stuff and then kind of, I'm going to call it pragmatic, but that's not the best word, but the pragmatic, like, just just get it done, worry about, you know, refactoring and making it, you know, into a UML diagram later. Um, so I thought that was interesting because there's actually a fair bit of conflict on the podcast itself in a good way. And then my third pick, there's also a recording of DHH talking about using backbone js in uh what is it Basecamp next so that's it's a pretty long it's an hour and 40 minute uh video but i guess the most interesting point i got out of that was dhh kind of compared backbone js as dropping down into c when you have to so they use you know ruby and rails everywhere they can but when they need more responsiveness they drop down into c by using backbone So I've never thought about it that way. And that's actually a really nice way to kind of think about, okay, when should I go into client-side code versus actually just keeping it on the server. So that's it. That's what five picks. That's, that's more than enough for me.
0: Awesome. Um, So I have a few picks as well. Um, So since I got this contract, we've been using TMUX, as I said, and TMUX requires you to, well, um, all of the people who connect to a TMUX session, what it does is it resizes to the window size of the smallest person. So, if, or if you have two people and one is constrained width-wise and the other is constrained height-wise, height then it'll, it'll go to the lowest common denominator. And uh, so I had some not-so-large screens on my Mac Pro. And so I got to order some new screens and I'm, I'm pretty excited to put them up. Um... Let me see. It's the ViewSonic VA2431VWM. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Um, I ordered two of them, and uh, it turns out that uh, I have two of the um, the suspension arms that hold the monitor up, um, one which I got from some guy on some show that I do, and the other one I ordered off of Amazon. It was pretty cheap. And the one that... They, they both come with... Um, they both come with the the Visa V E S A um, connector on the back, or you know whatever. But anyway, those are both uh, 75 um, millimeter Visa, and the monitors require 100 millimeter Visa. So um, I've actually gotten some converter plates for them. They're like they're like 25 bucks a piece, and uh, that works out really well. So. Um, I'll put a link to those in the show notes as well. And then finally, one thing that I uh, picked up, um, and this is because my iPod's um, uh, headphone jack, sorry, my mind went blank. The headphone jack is going out. And so when I was in Chattanooga, I actually had to hold the iPod on my lap and hold the headphone jack over to one side so that it would play in both ears and not switch to one ear and then the other ear and back and forth while I was on the shuttle between Atlanta and Chattanooga. And so that, that didn't work out. And so I got the LG Tone headphones, which is something that's already been picked for the show. Evan picked them a while back. And those work out real well. And then I got an L. Uh, what is this thing? It's a Go Groove Blue Sync um, Bluetooth speaker and it just sits on my desk. It charges through uh, USB. And, um, so now I can listen to my iPod in my office. I just, you know, hit play and it just plays it through the speaker, which is really nice. So, um, anyway, those, those are my picks, just things that, you know, made my life a little bit better. And, um, I, I don't know if we really have any other announcements or anything, so we'll just wrap up the show and we'll catch y'all next week.
1: Yeah, Take care.